COVID-19. Even after five months, we're still asking the same questions. How did this all start? And how can we prevent it in the future? A few people even say it was grown in a lab, part of some elaborate government conspiracy. But when you look back at other viruses in history, it becomes clear that a pattern is emerging. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, it's great to have you with us here on Science Radio. I'm Daniel Kubedek, and it's great to be back in the studio. And joining me today is the head editor of Science of the Times magazine, Mr. Kent Kingston. Yes, it's great to be with you, Daniel, and uh, interesting to be on the other side of the mic. And the, even though we're both in the same office at the moment, you're not actually in the studio with me because we are applying good social distancing practices here. Yeah, or, or physical distancing, as as the more politically correct among us like to say, because we need to keep our social closeness and support one another through this time, even while physically we, you know, for safety need to remain apart. I don't know how you feel about that language, but whatever. <laughs> down for whatever you're down for. I do like my social circles, though. So, Kent, tell us about what you've been up to lately. I mean, we... We only really see each other one week on and one week off now because one week we work from home, the other week we're in the office. Probably the whole week that you're working from home is just recovering from the fact that you had to see me and then and then by the time that week is over, you see me again. <laughs> yes, it's, it's just like re-traumatization <laughs> every, every fortnight. No, look, it's, it's been good. I mean, if you, uh, dear listener, are, are a regular when it comes to Science Radio, you will be aware of the various chats that I've been having with different guests and asking them uh, about how COVID lockdown is going for them in various parts of Australia and the world. We in the Sydney region are, have likewise been affected. And yes, because a part of our office is a... Uh, an open plan office. Our management has made the very wise decision to try not to cram as many people in that space as possible, but to uh, sort of separate us into into two teams and and have us come work week and and week about. So yeah, so for you, Daniel, yes, that's that's one week home, and then one week in the office. For me, it's been a little bit more complicated because I have you know carpooling arrangements. But yeah, it's been good working from home, but it's actually been good being back at the office too to catch up with with everyone. But I guess there's all that uncertainty right now, isn't there, about, uh, you know, when are we going to go into lockdown again? You know, there are there are clusters in Sydney that seem to be contained at this stage. But I'm, I'm really nervous, of, you know, saying this because, uh, I mean, I can sort of describe the current situation. But by this time, by the time this goes to air in a you know, couple of days time, who knows how things might have changed. But uh, right now it's it's looking manageable for Sydney, uh, not Melbourne, of course. Yeah, Melbourne doesn't look good. My, my girlfriend works at a pathology clinic. She does admin stuff. And the pathology clinic, actually, they process COVID tests. So it's her job to send out a whole bunch of emails to, to let patients and clinics know whenever a patient is positive. And she, she was already adamant a few weeks back that we were going to be hit with a second wave. And they, they are extremely busy over there. Wow, you've, you've got the inside source there. Yeah, she, she even tells me whenever there's like, oh, she's like, oh, you know, I can't tell you exactly 
any details, but there there is one in the area, and it's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, just don't don't go to that suburb. Don't go to that shopping centre. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, Kent, you wrote an article for us in the July edition of Signs of the Times called Seven Deadly Viruses. Mm-hmm. Now, before we, if we jump into what exactly those are, it sort of brings to mind something I saw on Instagram when this whole COVID-19 thing broke out, which was actually a video put up by a vegan group on Instagram claiming that if the whole world was vegan, the COVID-19 virus would have never happened. You know what? I think they're they're probably right, really. So, yeah, that that that, that is true. But I guess the question is why. And you, you know, it's funny. You know, people often use the the word unprecedented. You know, when it comes to COVID nineteen, and that's true to a certain extent. But in another, uh, to another another extent, I mean, I, I think I heard a federal politician today saying, you know, this is a once in a century pandemic, and that in some ways is more is more accurate. You know, we had the Spanish flu epidemic in uh, that kicked off in 1918 and that killed, you know, millions of people, uh, a lot more than I, I think we're anticipating uh, COVID will kill. So humanity has been here before. And, and in fact, as I started to look, you know, over the recent history in particular of, of different pandemics, I started to notice a pattern when it came to all, all these viruses and it started to jump out to me. And I was like, well, wait a minute, what's, what's, what's going on here? You know, there are commonalities when it comes to, you know, our so-called unprecedented situation and, and what has happened in the past. And, and when I detected those patterns, I started to realize that uh, it's actually human behavior that is at the basis of of a lot of these pandemics. I mean, they get away from us, of course, and then all the human behavior in the world, um, you know, struggles to contain it. But it is human behavior that seems to kick it off in, in the first place. So I just thought, hey, this is something worth reflecting on, you know, to step back from to see the bigger picture. So hence, yes, the article seven deadly viruses. Yeah, that's an interesting point you point out because I actually watched a a documentary by Vox a few months ago which was explaining how the COVID-19 virus allegedly broke out anyway. So correct me if I'm getting any details wrong here. It broke out in the Wuhan wet market. So it originally, the source was a bat or a pangolin. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the consensus is moving away from pangolin and, and towards bat. But yes, so a, a wet market. So far as I can, I can figure out, and this seems to be, you know, a phrase that is being, you know, we're now familiar with, is is a market where wild animals are sold either live or or freshly slaughtered. So I guess the the wet is a a polite way of of saying that there is blood around. There is, you know, there are bodily fluids from from these animals, and therefore. You know, this is not, you know, like, you know, chicken drumsticks, you know, wrapped up in, in polystyrene and, and, and cling wrap. This is a situation where, yeah, there are a lot of bodily fluids which can carry infection. So, yeah, if you keep doing, you know, being in that environment for, you know, day after day, week after week with that many animals of that many different species all, all being there and, and the blood and, you know, and feces and, and, and whatever, you know, being there. Yes, that is a high-risk environment, it turns out. So, let's just get one thing out of the way. These animals are in these wet markets to be sold for food, right? 
Yes, partially. Certainly food is a part of it. Uh, I guess, you know, some people, you know, get a taste for what we might call, you know, exotic meats, you know, the meats of, of wild animals rather than your sort of standard, you know, domesticated stock. But on top of that, there's also the issue of traditional medicine. And in, in the case of, you know, bats or, or pangolins or well, I guess we'll, we'll get onto some other viruses and there'll be some other animals involved there. Yeah, those animals or parts of those animals have been used in traditional Chinese medicine or, or in the traditional medicines of, uh, of other cultures. So can we say beyond reasonable doubt that COVID-19 came from a bat or other animal being consumed? Can we say that beyond reasonable doubt? I don't know if it's uh, necessarily consumed, but certainly humans came into contact with with those animals. And I can't guarantee, no, absolutely not, but I think it seems to be the most likely scenario. That's probably the, the safe way to say it, that humans came in contact. Sometimes the transmission, and, and, and there's a key word here, zoonosis. So let's say bats, for example, because they, they, it does seem to come up again and again, the, the bat. Let's say that like the bat is perfectly healthy, but it is a carrier of a virus, which doesn't hurt it particularly. But nevertheless, as a person is catching the bat in the wild, transporting the, the bat, moving the bat from one cage to another, slaughtering the bat, dismembering the bat, you know, or whatever, there are all sorts of opportunities for that bat to bite or scratch the you know the the person or it, it may be as you say it may be in in the eating of that bat i guess particularly if, if it isn't you know cooked thoroughly that's what yeah, that's so what i read it, a lot a lot of scientists are saying that a number of these viruses that you outlined in your article that we'll go into in just a moment a lot of them scientists can't actually pinpoint which one it was like there, there is a fairly reasonable inference that can be made about the transmission from animal mm. to human but they can't you know there is no patient zero that can be interviewed or like you actually don't know how the event occurred in in its genesis yeah well that's right and, and this of course has spawned you know conspiracy theories and uh, you know people have looked at the fact that in in wuhan in china there there is a lab there you know investigating viruses and and zoonotic viruses in in particular and and there have been inferences drawn that maybe it came out of a lab and maybe it wasn't completely accidental but look I, honestly I, I think we've got enough real problems without starting to throw conspiracy theories you know on on top of it i i think we'll see uh, as we go through you know looking at number of other viruses that bats are the culprit in, in a lot of different cases and i don't think there's there are extremely good reasons to suggest that it's different in this circumstance so speaking of the bat there's not there wasn't just COVID 19 this is not the first time a virus has originated from a bat you also mm. mentioned that there was mers which is a, another coronavirus strain and also sars now i think i hadn't really heard of mers until recently but mm -hmm. i definitely had heard of sars because when I was growing up in around, you know, 2002, 2003, that was the sort of big panic at the time. So can you tell us a little bit about those two viruses? Yeah, well, look, you, you've probably heard on the news people talking about, you know, the novel coronavirus. And the inference of that is that this COVID-19 that we're facing right now, or SARS-CoV-2, as you know, it's also called, is a new coronavirus which means there are other coronaviruses that, that are already out there. And yes, SARS and MERS are, are two of those. They're also coronavirus strains. So this is not an, an unknown entity uh, to us. In both cases, 
it seems that it's it was bats that were, were the original source. SARS, you know, which you, you remember, is believed to have come from a, a horseshoe bat. And MERS, even though it passed into the human population, you know, in the Middle East through contact with camels, it's believed that the camels probably got it from bats in the first place. So, yeah, there's an interesting sort of transmission uh, sort of sort of chain there where often other animals are involved in the transmission. So, yeah, MERS, you know, bat, camel, human, in the case of SARS, bat, and then a, an animal called a civet, which is sort of looks a bit like a cat, but is actually probably more related to a, a mongoose, you know, type animal. So yeah, bat, civet, and then human there. So yeah, there's a, unfortunately there's a very cruel trade in in those uh, civet cats for their glands. They have a you know particular I think musk gland or, or something along those lines that again is is used for uh, traditional medicine. So you know they're they're kept in cages, they're treated you know quite badly, and and then you know either slaughtered or or the you know the glands are you know squeezed or, or milked or or whatever. It's it can be quite nasty and and, and quite cruel. And it seems that in those encounters between humans and and civets, again, in a wet market in China, that is how that SARS broke out. And that infected you know, a heck of a lot of people uh, around the world. But thankfully, the, the fatalities were, were down. There was a death toll of 774, which is, you know, pretty, a pretty awful number. You know, that's, you know, when you consider that to a, a mass shooting or a, or a you know, a, a passenger plane going down or something, you know, that is still a, an incredible number. But compared to, you know, something like COVID-19 or some of the other pandemics we've seen, it's uh, certainly not, not the worst. But yes, a, another coronavirus strain there. So yeah, that, those are the first three of our seven deadly viruses. Um, the one we faced right now, COVID-19, then are two other coronaviruses, MERS and SARS. Can I just jump to Ebola because it's also related. Though mm. we didn't actually see it as much in first world countries, it was a huge deal in third world countries, which is mm. Ebola. West which Africa is, in particular, yeah. Yeah, which was also believed to have come from fruit bats. Mm-hmm. But let's just jump to number four and five, the two viruses that you mentioned there. Well, the first one was H1N1 swine flu. Can you tell us mm-hmm. about where mm. that originated? Okay, so, you know, now I guess, you know, we can turn our attention from coronaviruses, coronaviri, to the different strains of influenza that are out there. And there are heaps and heaps of them. But in terms of, you know, our seven deadly viruses, it's two in particular that I'd like to focus on. That's H1N1, which is swine flu, and H5N1, which is often called bird flu. So swine flu has hit the human population a a number of times over the years. In fact, it's believed that it uh, was the flu involved in the 1918 Spanish flu, which killed, and, and it's sort of weird how vague the numbers are, but they reckon it killed somewhere between 17, like one seven, and 50, five zero million people all around the world. It was, it was just incredible. I, I mean, basically, as the First World War finished, there were, seemed to be a situation, and there are a number of different theories, but it seems that it may have been a, a lot of pigs being kept somewhere, like close to an army base or perhaps a part of a sort of an army, you know, supply situation. And those soldiers um, contracted the H1N1 uh, from from the pigs. And then, of course, we had this situation where soldiers were returning home after the war. So it, it sort of broke it in those war zones and then soldiers of, of all types and all sorts of countries, it seems, you know, brought it home to their families. So this was, I guess, the first time we really saw 
some of the negative aspects of globalization and the fact that you know the world was getting smaller and uh, and travel was you know becoming more frequent and and more common and we saw the downside of that when it came to the swine flu killed somewhere between you know 17 and 50 million that 50 million people you know all over the world that's it's horrific and then it broke out again in 2009 and again the effect was pretty lethal there was somewhere between you know a hundred thousand to over 500 you know over half a million people who died of, of swine flu h1n1 in 2009 so yeah that that is a pretty bad one and in this case um, there are no bats involved it's you know it's what one of the rare ones it's yeah it seems to be the the pigs in particular which is interesting because you know pigs of course are an animal that are kept you know around the world for for food and nevertheless it seems that they they do pose a, a risk to to human health probably particularly if they're kept in you know overcrowded and unhygienic conditions but yeah there's Pigs can can be a risk to humans, and of course we know that this is not the only disease that has passed from you know pigs to humans. There are a number of other risks too uh, that we have to um, keep an eye on. Bird flu is is the other influenza strain. This one is believed to have originated from wild waterfowl, but it somehow passed over to humans at poultry farms. So basically, I guess you know domestic birds you know, um, ducks and, and chickens, caught it from wild birds. But then again, you had this situation with industrial scale farming, animals uh, kept in overcrowded, unhygienic um, conditions, repeated contact with humans and, and those birds. And yeah, and that seems to be the, the perfect storm when it comes to that zoonotic transfer of the virus from animal to human population. So yeah, only, you know, and I say that in inverted commas, 359 people dead uh, from that in between 97 and, and 2012, but still something to keep an eye on. But yes, HIV. And it's interesting, like when you sort of, I don't know, a lot of us in our heads will put HIV AIDS in a completely different category to the others. But when it comes to the original transmission of the HIV, uh, the human you know, immunodeficiency virus back in the, in the 80s, it is believed that it most likely passed into the human population like Ebola in West Central Africa, but this time from, from bushmeats, which is, a, I guess, a, a way of saying, again, rather than domesticated animals, people going out and hunting uh, wild animals, in particular monkeys and, and chimpanzees. So th these are species that humans don't often have a lot of contact with. But when, you know, people get desperate, perhaps when human populations are growing in a particular area and the human settlement is encroaching further and further in areas where wild animals live, um, you know, there's deforestation, that animal habitat is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then there's poverty and desperation from the people. They want to eat something. So, yeah, these situations occur where people are more likely to come in contact with uh, these wild animals and more more likely to, you know, want to kill and eat them and poaching and all, all that sort of stuff. And it's believed that this is how HIV AIDS passed into the human population. Of course, from that point, it was human behaviour uh, that spread the, the virus between humans in terms of, you know, sexual transmission and in terms of, you know, blood transmission through, you know, blood transfusions and, and, and things like that. But largely, particularly in Africa, through unprotected casual sex, uh, particularly through men, you know, truck drivers, you know, travelling throughout Africa, visiting prostitutes and, and then taking that virus back to, to their wives. So, yeah, 32 million people dead 
between 1981 and 2018. So that's just an incredible death toll. I think malaria has probably killed more people, you know, over that time. But still, it's just been a horrific death toll and a, a horrific effect on, on the human population, particularly the most disadvantaged. Yes, that's true. Thousands of subscribers enjoy receiving Signs of the Times magazine in their letterbox each month. But that's not the only way Signs magazine is distributed. Around Australia and New Zealand, various not-for-profit groups are making signs available to their communities absolutely free. We're talking local food pantry charities, campgrounds, op shops, and other places where communities are connecting. If you believe in Signs of the Times and the messages of Bible truth, good health, and the hope for the future it contains, why not partner with us? A regular donation of just $20 a month translates to more than 130 magazines per year in the hands of new readers. You can either give more or you can give less. It's up to you. To donate to Signs of the Times Community Connection Projects, visit signsofthetimes.org.au and click the donate button. That's signsofthetimes.org.au. And now, back to this week's episode of Signs Radio with Kent Kingston. Okay, so now just to switch gears. So, as we were mentioning earlier, our plant-based friends out there claimed that if if the world was vegan, then we wouldn't have ever had these problems that we are dealing with right now. Yeah, well, we, we can see that, can't we? If, if people weren't eating bush meats, if people weren't, you know, running wet markets, then yes. And I guess you'd have to throw the, you know, if, if veganism includes, you know, no leather, you know, no honey, you know, that sort of strict veganism, then you wouldn't, you would also exclude using parts, animals or parts of animals in traditional medicine. So yes, if, if we were all strict vegans, then this contact that people have had with these animals, you know, wouldn't have occurred. We wouldn't be facing these zoonotic viruses. Absolutely. The question is, is, is that realistic? So, Kent, you, you and I both believe in a book, the Bible, that has a, a particular chapter or a passage that, that definitely talks about foods that we should slash shouldn't or could or couldn't sort of eat for our, for our own personal benefit. It actually excludes some certain animals and some anim- or suggests we can eat some animals, but also warns against eating other animals that we have interestingly found in amongst those animals that you were mentioning there that were the cause of certain ones of those viruses. So can, yeah, well, yeah. So can you just talk about some of the, the animals that it suggests that we, we don't eat at? Yeah, so look, if we look in the Old Testament, in the, the book of Leviticus, chapter 11 in particular, we have a situation here where, you know, the, the Hebrews were in slavery under the Egyptians for 400 years. The Hebrews then escaped their slavery. And as they journeyed and wandered around the, you know, the Sinai Desert between Egypt and Palestine, Israel-Palestine today, this was an opportunity for them to be formed as a nation and for them to to basically form their their laws and their principles and and their culture and to i guess lose that slave mind that they'd had and to begin to live as a free people so you know as you read through these stories of the exodus and of this wandering in the wilderness you see god there giving the ten commandments and also giving a whole lot of other instructions about how people should live and and how and how they should treat one another i mean we know that right in the very beginning of of the bible the you know right at creation what is given for food is plant food only 
But then further along in the book of Genesis, after the flood, Noah is told, okay, you can eat animals now, but there are limitations. When we get to Leviticus, it gets a lot more specific about what animals are considered clean, as in, you know, okay to eat, okay to have contact with, and unclean. So, yeah, so Leviticus 11 is this chapter, and it's, and this is what it says. So this is just in verse 2. Of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. So then you start thinking, okay, how do I apply this principle? And the verses go on and it says, okay, well, look, the camel, you know, doesn't have a divided hoof, so it's unclean for you. The rabbit doesn't have a divided hoof. You know, it has a paw. It's unclean for you. And the pig, though, it does have a divided hoof you know, like a goat or a sheep or a cow, which, which are all clean, but the pig has a, a similar hoof to those animals, but it does not chew the cud. So a pig is unclean. It says you must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. That's in uh, Leviticus 11 verse 8. And then it, so it starts off with the land animals. Then it talks about the water animals. And it's uh, basically it says anything living in the water that does not have fins or scales is to be regarded as unclean by you. So basically scaly fish, good any other fish like whether it's you know fish with with skin i get like, like a leather jacket or like a shark for example is considered unclean as well as you know, anything like a prawn or an oyster or any of that sort of seafood then it goes into flying things so it talks about different and it lists different uh, animals that are considered clean and unclean and amongst the unclean of those flying uh, animals a bat is specifically mentioned and look there are even insects it even goes into insects because there are some insects that, according to Leviticus, are clean to eat, are okay to, to eat. So Leviticus 11.22, of these you may eat any kind of locust, katydid, cricket or grasshopper. And it's interesting that people do still eat crickets and grasshoppers and locusts and, and that sort of thing today. And in fact, they're quite nutritious, but other flying insects, not unclean. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to, to read those descriptions and to think about what the principles are, are that are involved there. Because what is often the case, as you look through, you realize, hey, wait a minute, the animals that are carnivores, the animals uh, that are I guess that are scavengers, um, the animals that are filter feeders, all these animals are considered unclean. And we know now from environmental science that these are the sort of animals in which environmental toxins are most likely to, to build up. Whereas animals that are purely herbivorous, so animals that, you know, just eat uh, grass and, you know, like grazing animals or, or fish that, you know, eat, eat plants or eat just smaller uh, animals, they will tend to have less environmental toxins built up in, in their body. But the, the higher you get up the food chain, you know, towards carnivores, uh, the larger carnivores in particular, and then towards those, those scavengers, you know, that eat dead things, that eat th things that, that are decaying, that is... It's at that place in the in our food web where you're most likely to find those environmental toxins concentrated and, and more dangerous. And we see this in things like mercury in fish and, and things like that. It tends to be the larger fish that, that are the, uh, the the bigger risk. So it's interesting to find that these these principles, while they're not this whole environmental toxin thing isn't suggested in Leviticus 11, as you look at it carefully and analyze the principles, these sort of patterns start to emerge. We're almost out of time here. So just in summary, is there, is there anything we can practically do or is there, is there one final point that we can take away from s sort of Leviticus 11, though, you know, most of us aren't going around eating, eating bats or pangolins. Is there, <laughs> is there anything that we can take away from this and sort of apply 
Well, I think there are there's some basic health practices there that we should be taking into account. Some basic health advice when we think about what we eat and what we don't eat and what the the risks are. There there is some valuable health advice there. But I guess further you know further than that, this just amazes me to think that you know this is thousands and thousands of years ago before germ theory, before microscopes, before anyone knew there was such a thing as a virus or or bacteria. We have these principles, and for me. This is evidence that there's something going on with the Bible that is more than human wisdom. There is a divine influence. There's there's value there. And even though these things may seem like ancient and not, well, I think we've seen today that they are immediately relevant to the situation we find ourselves in today. But that's what you have to do sometimes. You have to look at these ancient texts and you have to recognize the connections with, with where we are today and recognize how relevant they are. And that certainly is the mission of, of Signs of the Times, Daniel, to, to point out to people, hey, listen, these, these ancient words have wisdom for, for us today. And, and they're more than just human words. There, there is something else going on here. There is something else. There is something worth exploring here. And there, there are principles here that are, are worth you know, looking at when it comes to deciding how to live our lives. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for joining us, Kent, on this week's Signs of the Times Radio. My absolute pleasure, Daniel. And I look forward to being back next week. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 